So please give your attention as I read God's holy word in your hearing. First, John 3, verses 16 and 17. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. And then Romans chapter 5, verses 8 through 11. But God demonstrates his own love toward us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Much more than having now been justified by his blood, we shall be saved from wrath through him. For if when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son, much more... Having been reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. And not only that, but we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received the reconciliation. Thus far, the reading of God's word. Well, I was thinking of songs that we sing in church that talk about the love of Christ, or the love of God that he's shown to us in Christ. And I, it's not a Christmas song, unfortunately, but it is a song that sometimes we sing um, in light of um, uh, the, the sacrifice of Christ. But hymn number 455, I just love the way the song goes. It says, And can it be that I should gain an interest in the Savior's blood? Died he for me who caused his pain? For me, who him to death pursued. Amazing love, how can it be that thou, my God, shouldst die for me? And then the refrain repeats that. Amazing love, how can it be that thou, my God, shouldst die for me? And when you think of the love that God shows to us in sending his son to us, it truly is an amazing love. It truly is a love that should stir within us awe and inspire us because it is a love that we do not deserve. It is a love that the Lord shows to us out of his grace and his mercy. It is a love that is motivated not because we are lovable, as we'll see in a moment. It is when we were at our worst, when we were enemies, God sent his son into the world. So it is a love that is motivated by God's grace, by God's mercy, by God's love for us while we were still yet sinners. And the passages we're going to look at this morning, both in John 3 and Romans 5, just need a little bit of context, of course. John 3, when Jesus says that, for God so loved the world, this is in the context of his conversation with Nicodemus, if you remember in John chapter 3, Nicodemus comes to him at night and has some questions on his heart. And Jesus begins to probe uh, this Pharisee, this teacher of Israel. And he shows him, he says, uh, first of all, he says, in order to enter the kingdom of heaven, you have to be born again. And, and the one who is born again then is the one for whom God shows his love by sending his son into the world. And in Romans 5, verse 8, when, when Paul talks about Romans, uh, what he's talking about in Romans 5, he's talking about justification and how 
the love of God is uh, shown to us in that Jesus was sent to secure our justification. How? By dying on the cross for us. In both of these passages, both of these passages show that Jesus Christ came to die for sinners. And this was the demonstration of the Father's love toward us in his Son, Jesus Christ. And that's uh, the theme as we look at this final uh, aspect of Advent as we look at this final theme of Advent in love, we're going to see here Advent is the perfect demonstration of the Father's love for us in Christ. We're going to look at this in three parts. First, we're going to see love demonstrated. Love demonstrated. And that's demonstrated both in the first part of John 3.16 and in Romans 5, verse 8, where there again, John or Jesus says in John 3.16, the first part, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son. And in Romans 5, verse 8, But God demonstrates his own love toward us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So we cannot speak about Advent without speaking about the theme of love. Advent is all about hope, Peace, joy, and love. And we need to speak about love. And if Advent is the coming into this world of Jesus Christ, we need to see the motivation of that coming. Why did Jesus come into the world? What prompted the Father to send His only Son into the world? What prompted the Son to leave the glories of heaven, to come into this world in a humble form, to be born as a child in a manger in some backwoods part of the country, to some indiscriminate couple? What motivated this? In a word, that motivation was love. Love. In many places in Scripture, we see uh, Jesus talking about how he came to do the Father's will. The Father's will was that the Son would come into the world, and the Son gladly took that burden upon his shoulders. He gladly took that task to come into this world. In fact, no other place is this spelled out most explicitly than in Philippians 2 when Paul talks about the example of humility that we have before us, how Jesus, who was uh, in the form of God, did not think it robbery to be considered in the form of God. He, he left the glories of heaven. He, he emptied himself of his divine prerogatives and took on the form of a servant. The one who was the very highest became the very lowest of the low as he took on human flesh. Jesus coming into this world, taking on human flesh, being found in the form of a servant is all to demonstrate. It's all to show you the Father's love for us. This is all motivated for love, by love. You want to say, well, how do I know God loves me? He sent his son. How do I know uh, Jesus loves me? He went to the cross and died for my sins. That is love. There is no greater proof of the Father's love for his people than in him sending his Son into the world. Again, John 3, 16, the first part. For God so loved the world that he, what? Gave. He gave. Romans 5, 8. While we were sinners... Christ did what? He died 
for us. In Jesus' conversation with Nicodemus, it centers on how one can see the kingdom of heaven. That's what Jesus says when he says some early on in that chapter. He says, no one can see the kingdom of heaven unless he is born again or born from above. You cannot enter into this kingdom that is coming. I am the one who proclaims the coming of the kingdom and you cannot enter this kingdom unless you are born again or born from above. And that comes by believing on the Son whom the Father gave. Right? Whoever believes will not perish but have everlasting life. Again, Paul's argument in Romans 5 is to show us how we are justified and reconciled. We look at the idea of reconciliation when we looked at peace. Right? The idea of peace is that we have now been reconciled by God. How is that done? Christ died for us. He died in our place so that there could be peace. And that dying in our place was motivated by God's love for us and by Jesus' love for us. And note further that this love is demonstrated before we have done anything to deserve it. Again, Romans 5. When did Christ die for us? Does it say here, while we were making ourselves better? No. When we had gotten our act together, Christ died for us? No. When we had cleaned up our act and when we have done all these holy works and we have uh, perfected our lives, did Christ die? No. Christ died for us while we were sinners. While we were enemies, as he says in verse 10. The Father gives the Son into the world to die on behalf of those who are still born of the flesh, as Jesus will say in John chapter 3, verse 6. The sending of Jesus into the world is the demonstration of the Father's love for us. In John chapter 14, verse 9, when Jesus is speaking to his disciples in the upper room, he tells Philip, Philip says, show us the Father, it will be enough for us. And Jesus says to Philip, have you seen me? Have you been with me so long that to, to not know this simple fact that if you have seen me, you have seen the Father? Jesus comes to make the Father known. Jesus comes to demonstrate and reveal the Father's love for us. And then he says later on in John 15, verse 13, Greater love has no one than this, that someone lays down his life for his friends. That's the demonstration of the Father's love for us. Jesus left the glories of heaven. Jesus was obedient to the point of death on the cross. And Jesus died for us while we were sinners. When we were at our absolute worst, what does God do? God gives us his absolute best. When we were at our absolute worst, God sends us his very best in his son, Jesus Christ. So that's love demonstrated. Now let's look at love defined. Love defined. Now we've already hinted at this a little bit earlier, but look at John 3.16 now. Or sorry, 3.17. Love defined. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. And then in our companion passage in verses 9 and 10 of Romans 5, 
much more than having now been justified by his blood, we shall be saved from wrath through him. For if when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son, much more having been reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. How is love defined? Love defined is by meeting the needs of another at your own expense. Meeting the needs of another at your own expense. That is the basic definition of biblical love. That's why oftentimes in the the old King James, you'll see love translated as the word charity. What do you think of when you think of charity? Well, for me, charity is like someone has a need and you give to it. Right? That's what the old King James translates love as, is charity. Well, love here is demonstrated and defined as God meeting our needs at his own expense. In Romans 13, verse 10, Paul says, Love does no harm to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfillment of the law. Again, you, uh, you meet the needs of another at your own expense. You don't harm your neighbor. If the law can be summarized as love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and your neighbors yourself, then love is the fulfillment of the law. Love gives. Love serves. Love is not impatient. All of these things. Or as Paul will say in Ephesians 2, Uh, How does God show his love to us? He is the one who is rich in mercy. And because of his great love with which he loved us, he makes us alive together in Christ. That's Ephesians 2, verses 4 and 5. So if love is meeting the needs of another at the expense of yourself, what is our greatest need? What is it that we stand in need of? Well, our greatest need is our sin problem. Our greatest need is our separation from God. Our greatest need is the vast gulf that stands between us and a holy God that is caused by our sin. That's our problem. That's our need. Love is defined then by meeting that need at the expense of the one who gives. So God sends his son into the world to meet our sin need, to solve our sin problem. That's why John, Jesus says in John 3.17, not that the world would be condemned, but that the world might be saved through Christ, through Him. Or as Paul puts it in Romans 5, verses 9 and 10, we are saved from wrath. Right? That's the problem. Sin puts us under the wrath of God. Jesus comes and dies in our place. Thereby, we are no longer under that wrath. We have been saved from the wrath of God through Him. We've been reconciled by his death, and now we are being saved by his life. All the way back in the beginning, I'm not going to go there, but in Genesis 1, God creates all things. And at the end of creation week, what does God do? He creates man. And the point of that is to enjoy a fellowship with him. God creates a garden for man. God puts man in the garden. And God gives man a task to keep and guard the garden. And the idea was to have a covenantal relationship between God and man. God and man would enjoy this communion, this fellowship with one another. What does sin do? It breaks that communion. 
That's why when Adam and Eve sinned, they were cast out of the garden. They were cast away from God's presence. But then the entire story of redemptive history is such that God is working to restore that which was lost in the fall. And God does that by sending his son into the world to solve our sin problem. Love restores that broken communion that was ruined at the fall by Christ who comes and dies for us. Love is defined as meeting the needs of another at your own expense, at great expense to himself, right? God loved us by sending his son to die for us and saves us from both wrath and condemnation. That's why Paul can say in Romans 8, therefore there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Because at great expense to himself, the death of the very sinless Son of God, we have been saved. We have been saved from wrath. We have been saved from condemnation. I want to ask you, please, keep your place where you're at, but turn over to Psalm 103. Psalm 103. I'm going to look at verses 8 through 12. If you're prone to writing in your Bible, if you like to mark things in your Bible, I would circle Psalm 103, 8 through 12. And I would look over at your neighbor, and if he, does, he or she does not have it circled in his or her Bible, then I would say, circle it in his or her Bible. I would say do it in the pew Bible, but I don't have the authority to tell you to write in the church Bibles. But this is important stuff here. Because it talks about here in Psalm 103... Starting in verse 8, the Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in mercy. Now, have you heard me say that a few times before in this church? Okay, I think you've heard me say this a few times in this, from this pulpit. This is God's character, right? When, when Moses asked to, to see God's glory... God reveals his glory to Moses by declaring his name. And when he declares his name, he says something almost exactly the same. He says, the Lord, the Lord, a God who is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in mercy. And then the psalmist goes on. He, the Lord, will not always strive with us, nor will he keep his anger forever. He has not dealt with us according to our sins. That's a great spot for an amen. He has not dealt with us according to our sins, nor punished us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his mercy toward those who fear him. How high are the heavens above the earth? Last time I checked, they're pretty high, okay? (laughs) You know, you can go to the top of the Rocky Mountains. They call that mile high. That's not even close to being high enough. You need to go higher than that. And this is before the people of the Bible knew that the universe was so expansive. How high are the heavens above the earth? Pretty darn high. That's how great God's mercy is towards those who fear Him. As far as the east is from the west. How far is the east from the west? Infinitely so. Okay, if you think of a globe, right? If you were to start in Sutton, Nebraska and go north... Right? You would eventually hit the North Pole, right? And then if you keep going, what happens? Are you going north anymore? No, you're going south. 
And then eventually, if you could, you know, it would take you a while, you may not live to do this, but you would eventually hit the South Pole. And when you hit the South Pole, what's happening? You're going north again, right? If you start in Sutton and go east, are you ever going west? No. If you start in Sutton and go west, are you ever going east? No, you may turn and go around the entire world, come back to Sutton, but you're still going westerly. That's the point here. How far is the east from the west? Infinitely far. That's, so where has God put our sins? Infinitely far away. They've been infinitely removed. Those who fear him. How has that happened? That happened because Jesus Christ was sent. Because God gave us his son into the world. That while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. That's why we have our sins removed. That's why we have peace with God. That's why we are reconciled. At great expense to himself, God loved us by sending his son to die for us. Finally, let's look at love declared. So we have love demonstrated, love defined, love declared. I work hard to alliterate these things. I just hope you appreciate that. Half my sermon prep is trying to alliterate. No, I'm kidding. I'm just kidding. But love declared. This love needs to be declared. This love that has been demonstrated in God sending his son to us. This love that has been defined in the fact that this love uh, meets our greatest and deepest need. Now this love has to be declared to all the world. That's why in the last half of John 3.16, whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. God sent his son into this world to the, because he loved the world. He sent him not to condemn the world, but that the world through him should be saved. That whoever believes might not perish, but have everlasting life. Or Romans 5, verse 11. And, that not only, and not only that, but we rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received the reconciliation. This idea of rejoicing is to declare, it is to go forth. We rejoice in this reconciliation that we received and then we declare it to the world around us. John, again, Jesus is talking to Nicodemus in John chapter 3. And when Jesus says that whoever believes should not perish but have everlasting life, he is declaring to Nicodemus that the amazing and abounding love of God, the steadfast love of God, is available to who? Whoever believes. Whoever believes. It is available to whoever believes. This is good news that needs to be declared far and wide. Out of love, God has provided a way. Everyone is... If they're not intentionally looking for God, they think they're trying to find purpose in this life, and they find it through all kinds of things. Right? You get the saying that all, all roads lead to God. All roads lead to the top of the mountain. That is not true. <laughs> Some roads lead to a cliff that takes you off the mountain. In fact, all the roads will lead to a, to a road that takes you off the mountain except for one. Jesus again told his disciples in the upper room, he says, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. The way means that he was the veil that was standing between us and God and that veil was broken in his body when he died on the cross and now the way is open. 
through the new and living way, as the writer of Hebrews says in Hebrews 10, the new and living way made through the flesh of Christ. He is the way. Jesus provided a way. And that is in itself glorious and amazing to think about it because is God obligated to give us a way to heaven? No. Psalm 130, verse 3, if the Lord marks iniquities, who could stand? No one. Is God obligated to forgive us our sins? No. Is, is love obligated? That's the point I'm trying to make here. Is love obligated? No. Because then it's not love. It would be obligation. God is gracious. He is merciful. He sends His Son. This is a, an act of love so that we could be reconciled through Him. Jesus Christ came to save the world, not condemn it, and He does this by dying for our sins. And our response to this good news then is to believe. It is to be declared so that we could believe. Paul's argument in Romans 5.11 here is that it's the same. As we rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have received reconciliation, then we who have been reconciled go out and preach this message of reconciliation. That's, I love Paul's argument, and I'm not going to look at it, but Paul's argument in 2 Corinthians 5, verses 18 through 21, he calls us ambassadors. And I think that's a great title for Christians. We are ambassadors. We are emissaries of the great king proclaiming the news of the great king, which is reconciliation to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. And then we are ambassadors. We bring this message to the world. We who have been reconciled to God through Christ are now to herald that, that good news of glad tiding to, to a world that desperately needs reconciliation. It's the reason why the angels announced to the shepherds, right, on that night, he says, good news, great tidings of glad joy. Why? There's been a Savior born in Bethlehem, the one who is going to bring peace to men of goodwill on the earth. The love of God has been declared. It is the news of glad tidings. And the love of God has been declared to us in the advent of Jesus Christ. As we conclude Advent, we recognize that God's love to us is shown. It is demonstrated. It is defined and is declared in Jesus' coming. It was a love that motivated the Father to send His Son into the world. It was a love that motivated Christ to lay down His life for His bride, the church. I often talk about how the story of redemptive history is the greatest love story ever told. Now, when you think of love stories, I know about you, I won't speak for you, I'll speak for me. When I think of a love story, I think of something my wife wants me to watch on the Hallmark Channel or on Lifetime Network, okay? And I sit there having to watch this thing. It's like, can we turn on the football game now? It's like, uh, that's not the love story. Okay, The greatest love story ever told is that Jesus Christ came in his world to save his bride. We are his bride. We are the church. We are his bride. And Jesus Christ comes on a rescue mission to save us from our sins. He lays down his life for us. And it's a love that compels us then to declare this good news to a lost and dying world. Christmas isn't primarily a time for shopping and exchanging of gifts, and wearing ugly sweaters, and singing catchy songs. 
Those are wonderful things, and I don't have an ugly sweater. Don't get me one. Uh, But Christmas is a time for the church to announce to the world that God so loved the world that he gave us his son. Now, tomorrow is Christmas Day. And as I said, that's the proper time to open your gifts. That's what my dad told me. That's what I'm telling you. As we open our gifts, remember the priceless gift that the Father gave to us in his son, Jesus Christ. It is a gift that demonstrates his love for us. And we may think that we give gifts this year that we don't want or need. Let's not forget our greatest need, right? You don't need that new sweater. You don't need that whatever it is you're going to get. What you need is someone to deal with your sin problem. And that's what Jesus Christ did. He came to deal with our sin problem. If you do not receive this gift with the open hand of faith, then you are still stuck in your sins and the wrath of God is still upon you. But as we look and as we conclude our look at Advent this year, let us remember that we have hope, we have peace, we have joy, and we have love with God only through Jesus Christ. The advent of Christ is our hope of glory. The advent of Christ is our peace with God. The advent of Christ is our fullness of joy. And the advent of Christ is the perfect demonstration of God's love toward us. If there is no advent of Jesus Christ, there is no hope, there is no peace, there is no joy, and there is no love. But with Christ, there is all of these things and more as we look forward, not to the advent that we celebrate, but his second advent, his second coming, when hope and peace and love and joy are fulfilled in the new heavens and the new earth. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, what a glorious truth that your love is demonstrated to us in the sending of your Son, Jesus Christ, into this world. And as we conclude Advent and get ready to celebrate Christmas Day tomorrow, help us to bring to mind these truths of hope, of peace, of joy, and of love all of which we have through our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen.